0: Bhagavato Ada had to some more, some botas tassa. A de sung a matasa tawada, ye satang. This evening we have this uh occasion to meet here in the temple and this uh i'm very happy about this temple I <laughs> 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 when uh, before we built it i had all kinds of uh of uh thoughts of dread and you know, all kinds of uh it's rather taking on a lot to build for a poverty-stricken alms mendicant like myself to build a temple in Hertfordshire <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a vision years ago, long before we ever came to Amravati uh, of a Kind of a stupa like building on top of a hill in somewhere in in England. Uh, and then quite a strong vision, and, and this is what what seems to have uh, happened. So it one can you can make whatever you want out of it. Of course, uh, some people see the temple and they see it in terms of aesthetics, or some people. In terms of its functional or practical or uh, all kinds of ways of looking at it, uh, but a temple is a is a place for contemplation. The contemplation temple, the uh, Latin word "templum," is the place to go to uh, contemplate. To and contemplation, as we use it, it means a kind of meditation where you open the mind, you, is what we're doing. We're not, it's not just thinking, it's not an, uh, a, a process of thinking and analyzing logically, but it, contemplation is where you, you're opening your mind to, to that place of silence and so that truth can speak banya can arise her so wisdom can be used <coughs> and so this is a, a this uh, this is a physical temple a building designated for uh, it's a, it's a this uh, limestone part here that you're sitting on is is uh, called a Sima boundary where it was properly laid down as a place for ordination in conducting sangha business before the temple was actually built. We had this uh, sima ceremony where we uh, they had these uh, stone uh, balls that were uh, uh, there underneath these, these round stone plates. Uh, they were they're buried in the ground and there were eight of them and uh, so they, so it's, uh, it's a kind of put into the ground and then, then eventually these will have proper marking stones made to put in these circles and, these and that will designate the uh, ordination boundary, the Pusampada boundary, so that that is according to Vinaya. Mm-hmm. There's a Sima boundary at uh, chitters, which is outside mean, many of you Seen that on the lawn outside of Titterth House, where we uh, usually conduct the ordinations, and then the Harnam, uh Temple in Northumberland is also has a sema. There's three semas here yeah. in England, and I think Wat Phutapatik, the Thai temple, is a sema. But anyway, I like the idea of uh, the the idea of a temple because uh, I think of often think of my uh, of like being think of the my romantic images of of Greece in the ancient time where maybe a shepherd or something went out in the hills and contemplated, looking up at the stars and wondering what is the meaning of life, what is the purpose, what is death about, Uh, what is. This all about anyway. <laughs> These are unanswerable questions. In terms of our human uh, conditioned mind, we we wonder and ponder about the mystery that that we uh, witness to in this universe. Remember, as a, as a child, I used to wonder. And I think children like to wonder, so that state of wondering is a kind of emptiness of the mind isn't it your your mind is open you haven't you're not fixed on any opinions <laughs> <laughs> like a child's mind innocent somebody that's fairly innocent isn't doesn't have a lot of views uh, and positions and axes to grind and causes to fight more and and all that so their children's mind in the state of innocence usually wonders what is the meaning why was I born how, di- how did I get born and what happens when we die and what is the meaning of life and so like like wondering isn't it it's stops the mind. You, what is the meaning of life? And then then you're in that state of uh, poised attention. You can't, you say well, somebody can give you an answer, they can say the meaning of life is this or that, but that's not what, we, we don't, we don't want to be told that by somebody else. It's something to to realize yourself uh, through contemplation or meditation. So we usually end up being told there's no meaning or there's the meaning of life is this or that or uh, various views, cultural attitudes that we uh, that we get told. Questions get answered by someone else but the fact is we don't really know. We just either we accept what somebody else says or we give up altogether trying to find out and just get caught up in the humdrum material existence or we maybe practice meditation contemplation so the real temple is, is an inner one isn't it it's that still point uh, that still place within yourself where you rest when you let go of everything when you're not caught up into your attached to all your emotions, your opinions, views, thoughts, memories, sense of yourself, worries about the future, regrets about the past, and that whole sangsaric mess, when we let go of that then we recognize that still place, the templum, the place of contemplation. So industry this retreat trying to bring that into, uh, back to your, to remember it, to so that you you begin to return to that inner templum and trust in it more in order to uh, um, understand. The Buddha in his teachings said I only give you a handful of leaves, it's not all the leaves they are but it's a handful because that's all you need to know so that's a significant statement. I mean, there's a lot more to to on this on this r- in this realm of samsara and condition phenomena. I mean, it's the ongoing, changing, relentless kind of uh, variations uh, on themes and conditions and states and and uh, shapes and forms and colors and uh, all sizes from Vast to minute, but the in the the uh, yeah. in meditation is based on the the ability to observe the way it is in the present with the human within the unadorned human state. We don't take drugs to heighten awareness or to de- or to get concentrated, or we're not trying to we're not trying to develop use special instruments, uh, scientific instruments that we could use to maybe get some some special kind of awareness or special kind of concentration. But the, say the five precepts, the eight precepts, or the monastic code encourage us to try to use just a normal conscious state that isn't uh, highly affected by addictive drugs or drinks. We're not asked to buy special kind of uh, equipment to meditate. We just use what we have. The body, the mind, the way it is. So the whole, the whole thing, the Dhamma is realized through this present moment, through this, through these conditions that we're experiencing. Body, this body, the states of mind, the emotional habits, the, the uh, memories and thoughts, the feeling, the sensitivity, the consciousness, the five khandhas, the six ayatanas, and so forth. These are uh, ways of referring to the way it is in the present. Buddha Rupa was made in Thailand uh, last year and uh, and it was made especially for this temple and the Sangha Raja the Supreme Patriarch of Thailand gave it its name the Buddha Tamajakramarawati. and then we asked the Supreme Patriarch in Bangkok if he would name it which he did then the mudra of this is, is a kind of blessing, teaching mudra. Uh, and it's the, the, the Buddha Rupa that Ajahn Chah brought to England when we first arrived in England 21 years ago, 1977. Uh, he brought a Buddha Rupa, a little brass one about this high, with this mudra, like that. Mm-hmm. So it seems to have stuck the, the Buddha Rupa at... Harnam also has that same same mudra. And in the palm of the hand is a the dhamma the wheel. Also the sense of blessing, of blessing this country, of, of this, uh, the Buddha is now in this state of uh, awakened, he's aware, he's in uh, this state of Blessing. This teaching, the Four Noble Truths, is is now something that is uh, here that you can be that you can hear it, you can uh, practice it within th- this country at this time. Then the style is uh, is basically uh, uh, the the Sukhothai period, uh, copied from that, but modernized, and the robe is. Uh it has folds and uh, drapes, on it. we? They wanted, we wanted to have a nice kind of robe covering it. The Sukhothai, very tight-fitting, uh, th- so that the b- body contours and the that are seen completely. And this, uh, being English, we didn't think uh, that the, that kind of rupa would be appreciated. We want to have a more modest-looking... The Sukhothai also have the uh, the flame coming uh, shooting up from the head. People wonder about that. And, and some people say, like to see see it in terms of more of a a more repli- uh, an exact replica of a human uh, of a modern human person. But uh, the Buddha Rupas are a, a kind of art form that, and people will differ about this. But it it is a kind of perfected art form and if you notice if you live with buddha rupas around you they they represent this stillness the human form in the state of their eyes are open he's not she's not shut, she's closing his eyes he's uh, he's uh, the, the rupa is sitting there uh and in the state of attention he's not blissed out in he's not in another realm and he's not uh, criticizing anything or making it, you know, or, or fed up or disgusted with anybody. It's just uh, this, the, uh, this hu- the human consciousness, uh, a human being state of that perfect still attention where one is not caught up into the emotional turmoil of love and hate and like and dislike. And, of course, the Buddha Rupa was uh, infringed at the time of Buddha. And for two or four hundred years after, there were no Buddha Rupas. That started through the uh, contact with Greece, actually, uh, producing the human form. And so the early uh, Buddha Rupas, called the Gandhara Rupas, uh, look quite Grecian. They have kind of Greek hair uh, in a in a Greek. Kind of Greek-looking European faces, but the the art form itself is definitely uh, Indian and Asian because it, uh, European art never developed the still the form, human form in a state of stillness and enlightenment. <laughs> that our our sculptures of the human uh, human body are usually in, in great showing uh, either passions of or the or kind of pride. I, mean go I remember in being in Paris one time and just noticing all the the, the uh, sculptures in the public parks and the galleries, where they're all men and women in various states of passion, or, or they have they maybe have of women the kind of grand monuments of women looking very haughty and arrogant, and this kind of snooty look, or men looking particularly kind of warlike and fierce. Then the famous thinker, Rodan's thinker, the, is probably the, the Rupa that most uh, signifies Western civilization, suffering and caught in your own thoughts with a headache, feeling like... <laughs> Your head buzzing with all your thoughts in kind of anguished state of uh, the misery. When well, the Buddha Rupa is uh, is a human form in the in in but signifying that place of enlightenment, that place that still point that we're all say, learning to, to recognize in our in ourselves as we develop our meditation sitting on on the the, the the lotus uh leaves and now the the lotus always is the is the is the symbol for moral purity so they the lotus comes out of the muck and slime of a bog or a pond it? and then it produces these beautiful leaves and flowers and so out of this out of the, the uh, dirt and of the earth, uh, we come out of that, and uh, then we, through our, uh, say, moral purity, it's like we're, we're now in that state of uh, uh, the Buddha sitting on this lotus, which is, uh, that signifies the moral purity is a, is a foundation for enlightenment. And morality now is something that is uh much needed in the world, because if you listen to the world's problems the uh, the news and uh, or read the newspapers uh, there, <coughs> there isn't much uh agreement on moral behavior anymore it's that's uh, more or less uh, uh, morality is some kind sometimes mentioned but it 's not. It it has no real significance anymore in in politics or economics. It's profit and power and materialism that that are are important now. And when people are talking about um, governing a country, there's some kind of concession to morality is a good thing. But it, it, it's the kind of uh, you know it's kind more of a or better, dictum rather than a, than a significant statement, or the focus. And yet, morality is is one of the great gifts that we we can choose to be moral, and you know, that we can agree, like when we. When you took the eight precepts at the beginning of this retreat, it was an agreement, wasn't it, to how we were going to live with each other during these two weeks? So we we have an agreement, we come to an ag- a consensus that we're we're going to live within these precepts in uh, regards to action and speech. And so this is a a moral decision where we 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 ask for the precepts and then. Uh, as a way of of affirming our commitment to this life to live together in a way that we're not causing each other in, in any intentional way any uh, misery or suffering where we have a, a level of trust confidence with each other not like the law of the jungle where you know you have to be aware because uh, you leave your, your room somebody might come and take your money or you you don't know what's going to happen uh, because there's, you know, it's each one for themselves, law of the jungle, survival of the fittest. But in a human state, we, 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 we can make moral agreements in which we learn how to support each other, help each other through life in a way that is uh, emphasizing harmlessness, physical harmlessness, respect for each other's, right to live for each other's property and responsibility for speech and language and so forth so that morality is this is is one of uh you know you can see a need on the on the international level for moral agreement. one thing like war to to uh to to everybody to agree to bana di would be great improvement that's the first precept: not to intentionally kill other humans. To stop war, in other words, that could be, a, a, you know, a very that would be quite a remarkable statement uh, internationally. And I think all religions could agree to that, and and even atheists and people who who were against religion would not object to batata as a as an agreement a moral agreement of develop harmlessness honesty truthfulness uh, uh, personal integrity responsibility these these are the, this is the foundation for enlightenment because then we can uh, uh, then we can, we can really look at the forces that, that affect us in life, the good and the evil. Last night's thought was about the shadow or the dark side and, and, and this, this Buddha, say, or when we're in the state of, of moral purity and in this still point, then we can look at evil forces or the dark side, recognize them without being afraid or being overwhelmed. Because of this protection. So the Buddha is the one that knows Mara. And and in the scriptures even, after the Buddha was enlightened, even years after enlightenment, Mara still tries to tempt him. So Mara would go up and try to, you know, delude the Buddha. And the Buddha looks at Mara and says, I know you, Mara. This is a... It wasn't angry, it wasn't saying, get out of my way, you horrible thing, or curse on you, or, or trying to do in or kill Mara, but I know just a, a simple act of knowing things as they are means that Mara has no power, powerless. Like evil depends on delusion and fear. So so if um, if i can delude you then i have power over you i can make you do what i want if i can make you afraid i can intimidate you i can uh, keep you deluded and and and, uh, and that then i have power to control and get what i want from you exploit you or whatever way i want but if you are not deluded, if you see things as they are, then then Mara has no power. It, it's, uh, you're disempowering that force, the evil forces. And they still are what they are and they come and go, but they are, they're powerless. Because you're not empowering them. Your, or through your ability to be awake, aware, see things, understand things as they really are. This is to realize the Dhamma. Santitiko, Akaliko, Ehipashko, Panaiko, Bajatang, Dhamma. And the Sangha, a refuge in in Supatipano. Uh, Su is a, is a me always meaning good, positive. Bhatibhana is one who practices, good practicer. This means we take refuge in the actual practice of meditation, practice of Dhamma. We're not just kind of believing and, and, and uh, having uh, kind of ideas about it. But we actually develop it, cultivate it in practice in daily life. Ujju Bhattipano, means to practice, put into practice. It's straight, is direct. And what we do is very direct. It's not uh, beating around the bush. You go right to it, awake now. So you waken. The simple act of being awake is a direct teaching. Seeing things as they are now, here and now, it's not like... Practicing now in order to see the Dhamma uh, next year. Seeing Dhamma now. So it's this this sense of direct realization. More and more we're, we're letting go of the tendencies to procrastinate, to believe in the perceptions of time, the perceptions of self, the worldly delusions, to this trust... Trusting in this state of pure awakened awareness. So, in the, this retreat now, was the remainder of it for the rest of this week. It's get this idea of this that which is awake and and observing before thinking starts. This uh, simple act of attention, which you. You can't get behind, you can't see yourself paying attention, but you can pay attention. Hmm. And then you can see yourself as you arise in thought or feeling in the sense of I am, me and mine comes up, but you're paying attention to the the personality, the sense of yourself that comes through thought, through emotion, through memory. And you're seeing that as an object rather than becoming that personality. They're learning to sustain that attention. It's a sustainable ability, isn't it? This the name. Poised, awake, with the present. Mm-hmm. I use that, like the sound of silence, or this, as, as a sign of that presence, or that which is, uh, that, that pure state of awareness in the present. Then taking that, using that in, uh, like, when I go to London or go anywhere I I use the sound of silence as a reference point keeps my mind from wandering and getting caught up in things in airports or in traffic jams or in queues or in wherever make special effort with loud noises and and with uh, you know just when to to uh, develop that attention in the present, that attention of listening from this place where, y- which is wide open, where, where other sounds then are, are heard but they're not, but they're, but they're, other sounds then come and go and change. But that silence is the background and we're in that state of awareness and that, and that pure kind of universal Listening, silence where the conditioned realm arises and ceases. So then you realize no self because it's not personal. It? It's not Ajahn Samhita anymore doing it. It's, it's you, you're realizing you're That's a universal intelligence, it's not personal, not mine, it's not in my head. It's not in my brain. Uh, not, you know, when it, it, as soon as I start claiming it as mine I'm off the track. I'm caught in the perception of myself and, uh, as a person. And that pure state of awareness, that attentive state, the Buddha its the Buddha mind, the Buddha knowing is universal. We're seeing the oneness, realizing the oneness, rather than how it seems like we all think. The worldly view is that we're all individual people with our, our minds are in our heads. That's most Europeans where their minds they point to their brain. Asians usually point to their heart. And they say, where's your mind, your heart? But we're so identified in in the, in the Western world with thought and ideas that we minds up here in the brain so we think this emptiness is in the brain or this purity is in the brain there's no that you know it's like the the brain is just an instrument really in the universe like a radio Then the conditioning, well, the personality, the person comes through conditioning. And so you, why do I think I'm Ajahn Sumedho rather than than Sister Tanasanti? Why don't, why don't I think I'm Sister Tanasanti? Because I'm conditioned, I think I'm Ajahn Sumedho. <laughs> <laughs> it's obvious, isn't it? she's not conditioned to think she's Ajahn Samadho so she thinks but she thinks she's uh, Sister Tanasanti. That's conditioned also but that which is aware the condition is is neither Ajahn Samadho nor Sister Tanasanti. That is pure intelligence that we that is universal not personal. Back to the condition why do I think when you say what nationality are I, I'm American and then then Salmonera uh, Attilo he thinks he's Australian <laughs> that's conditioned isn't it my mother told me I was American his mother told him he's Australian <laughs> it's conditioning <laughs> <laughs> But in terms of that which is aware, there's neither American nor Australian. Isn't it? It's not conditioned by culture. Not, it's not a personal attainment or acquisition. It's not in the I, I that I have more or less than somebody else. Not a matter of amount, or that, <coughs> that that because I've been a monk for thirty years, that I somehow have more of it than you do. It's getting beyond that, that kind of sense of quantity, quality, which is all about condition, into that universal deathless that is open, the doors to the deathless are open for those who listen. Pay attention. Trust in that. (laughs) Bhamun Jan Satang. Relax into that pure attention. Trust in it listen and don't try to get answers but let the answers come on their own insight is something you, you the more you try to get insight the, m- the more confused you get and So you read you know you read about dhamma in a book and then you try to get this try to get that according to some idea you form about what dhamma is and and uh you wonder why you're getting nowhere. You get just to feel so frustrated, or you start losing confidence. You think, "I can't do it." i you know, I try, but it, nothing seems to work. It's because you're you're trying to to y- out of out of desire, out of a sense of yourself. You're trying to you know, to realize truth through attaching to delusions. So it's an impossibility. But if you let go, listen, wait, be patient. Right on that edge of just poised attention. It's humbling. It doesn't seem like anything. But, but it is where then truth uh, speaks to us. Where we hear, understand. Know, from from a gut level not uh, not through theory or through symbolism or abstraction abstract symbolism but through this kind of gut realization comes from inside you insight rather than just uh, theoretical uh abstract ideas which you know, are totally unsatisfactory, unsatisfying to us. But insight is, because it is, it's profound, then it's something in you. It's, it's real, it's true, and you know it. It's not just a, a kind of impressive creation out of your own thinking mind. Like we can produce some interesting theories and fascinating concepts, but... We know that they just, you know, it's a bit. It's clever. That's about all you can say for it. it can be quite clever, but it, in the long run, it, it's meaningless. Till we let go and listen, be patient, humble, awake. materials of this temple are very nice uh, this green oak is a uh, the structure was made in a workshop near Bath and uh, it's the old kind of way of building uh, pre industrial European style with pegs and everything is cut in the in the to fit perfectly and using wooden pegs rather than nails, and it's been—it's a skill now, a craft that's being revived here in Britain. Because here in, in Britain, that died out for 150 years, hardly and people just haven't used it. The industrial revolution, but they've still kept the craft alive in countries like Germany or France. So now they're reviving it here, the Old Globe Theatre that they rebuilt in London is this same kind of construction and so it has a a kind of just the the kind of simplicity of it like a big barn uh, a kind of strength of of oak that lasts uh, hundreds and hundreds of years hard wood it's uh, it's English oak and so then the and then the um, tiles and the bricks the tiles on the roof and the bricks are all kind of made here in in Britain even the earth baked they're handmade everything's handmade rather than manufactured and the floor, this limestone, is from Italy. It's kind of going into the kind of Euro period, <laughs> and the limestone, you know, it's all have come the sea, isn't it? It's made out of billions of creatures, shells, and and then over uh, millions and millions of years, it's. Uh, beautiful kind of stone and then the the other tiles on the floors here are from spain you have terracotta tiles from spain and it's kind of these kind of earth earthy materials well it's just to contemplate this, uh, having a structure that that has this uh, sense of uh, it's, n- it's a simple Enough building, it? and, and it—it's not highly. Uh, we're not, we not. You don't have to paint it or decorate it a lot, or, or use cosmetics to cover up things. Uh, uh, the idea was to present a, a temple that is is, uh, is is not kind of uh, masked over or painted up, but more or less is what it is with materials that are just quite natural in, in themselves, that speak for themselves. This is a sign of the times, isn't it, where you go in so many of the, especially like the rena- Renaissance or the Rococo churches in Europe where the, uh, the Baroque period where the uh, everything is ornamented. I was in Prague last year and visiting there churches there, they're so ornate you know, gilded everything and and uh, everything painted, every there was no, not one kind of inch of empty space, but everything filled in with, with murals, with with uh, gilded designs curls and swirls and inlaid marble and all the rest of it, cupids and angels and and All kinds of things, be beautiful in its own. You know, not to complain about it, but it—that's a period, isn't it? That's past. Somehow, they, this is a this is a period now where people want this emptiness. They don't want their minds filled with endless designs and fascinating forms and and uh, all that. And when, you know, in, in the Buddhist world, anyway, isn't it? I mean we, we we appreciate this emptiness, the stillness, the this silence, the this space. This is how people in this age tend to incline. In the in their spiritual path. But it is uh, the. For me, it fulfills the the uh, wishes. My wishes uh, have a building of this. A temple of this kind here in England and where uh, the silence is present and where your mind when you come in you suddenly you you can kind of let go of all the worldly pressures so you know can you can look at this as a temple uh, that you can use uh, when you come in to let go of all your worldly cares and problems leave them outside and come in and uh, sit in silence. And it helps to remind you of that. I mean, you can't just spend your life here in the temple, but its uh, it gives you that kind of reminder. gives you a place, a space to come to that that helps you to, to remember. Because we do forget. Next week you'll go home and you'll get caught up again in all your busy lives and then you forget all this but you also will remember so when you you leave you know the insights you have you will you know really value those and use them you know skillful way to remember remember the Dhamma here and now Dhamma the silence the remind yourself to pay to listen, to look, to relax to be in the present rather than always struggling to do something, hoping that you'll have time later on to relax on your holiday and by the time you go on your holiday, you're so stressed out you you don't relax you just kind of crash out I guess. <laughs> So I offer this as a reflection for this evening.